0: Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, John continues his message the aftermath of the Battle of Armageddon, which is a part of his series on the book of Revelation.
1: Let me give you just some descriptions of hell. I won't belabor this, but let me give you some descriptions. First of all, as we've already seen, it is a lake of fire. That's how it is described in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, uh, the word hell is not there. Gehenna is not in Revelation. It's referred to instead as the lake of of fire. But turn back to Matthew chapter 8. I want to show you, could just reference this, but I want you to mark this in your Bible. Two verses that in, a, in really one verse tells us so much about hell. Look in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 11. Jesus said, and I say to you, that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he's saying at the end of time, there will be people from all over the world who will be in heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with all those who have known God in a personal way who have been saved. But in verse 12, he flips the coin, gives the contrast, and he talks about hell. He says, but... The sons of the kingdom, that is a reference to the Jewish people living in Jesus' day, who, though Jewish, were unsaved. They thought that they were accepted in God's eyes because they had Jewish blood running in their veins. And they thought, since we're Jewish... With the children of God. And so Jesus refers to them as the sons of the kingdom. It still applies to the unsaved Jewish people today. Nobody goes to heaven just because they're Jewish, just like nobody goes to heaven because they're Baptist or American. You only go to heaven by being saved. And so today, the sons of the kingdom would, would could, could apply to anybody who thinks they're right with God for any other reason than that they've been truly saved. And they're not. And what will happen to them? Look what he says. will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus described hell as a place of outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let me just give you some descriptive words or phrases here that help us understand what hell will be like. Not only a lake of fire, but hell will be a dark place. Now, I think most of us know that already but I want to just say it because most of us don't like the dark. Even at night, most of us will have a light from the moon that comes in or there's some I'm so forgetting the, the night it's not just totally dark but in hell it will be total darkness. Not only that, in hell there'll be loud. It will be a loud place. He's describing weeping and wailing, loud sounds that is describing and I don't personally like noise. I like more quiet and calm and tranquil places. And if I'm, if I'm in a setting where there's just too much noise, I want out of that because I, live a, a, I live a more quiet life. But noise will be one of the characteristics of hell. And not only that, hell will be a painful place. When Jesus says gnashing of teeth, that is a description of something that is very, very painful. And so I know this is not pleasant to think about, but I have to be honest and preach what's in the Bible. I don't think as a preacher or a teacher of God's Word, you can be a scared. I don't think you can be a scared preacher. I don't think you can be afraid to deal with what the Bible says. And so although I find this very difficult to talk about, it is in the Bible. And so we need to understand that hell will be a painful place. But not only that, hell will be a nasty place. In Mark chapter 9, in verse 44, Jesus said that in hell, in Gehenna, the fire is not quenched. The fire doesn't go out. But he also said this, the worm does not die. In that valley of Hinnom in, uh, in, in the southern part of Jerusalem... Not only would a fire constantly be going up, but the worms would be going and crawling through that valley. And Jesus said, the worms don't die. It's interesting. In the Hinnom Valley, people die. Everything there is dead, but the worms don't die. It's a nasty place. And then it's a lonely place. Hell will be a lonely place. I think some people have the idea, some unsaved people have the idea that heaven is for the religious crowd and hell is for the irreligious crowd, and some of the unsaved think, well, I won't be going to heaven because I'm not a part of the religious crowd, but that's okay with me because none of my family and friends are part of the religious crowd either, and so we'll just all go to hell together, and we'll be together forever, even though we won't be in heaven, at least we'll be together. Listen, I know people who have parents who were not Christians And we have talked to people and tried to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. And some have said, my parents, my grandparents, my family, none of them are Christians. And so according to what you're saying, that means when they died, they did not go to heaven. And you're telling me if I get saved when I die, I will go to heaven. And that means for all eternity, according to what you're telling me, I will be separated from my family. And we have had some who have maybe not said it, but have implied to us, we would rather be not in heaven, in hell with our family than to be separated from them for all eternity. Crazy logic. But in their minds, they think, even though I won't be in heaven, we'll be in hell, but the family will be back together. Friend, what you need to understand is this. If if your family is unsaved, it is true, you'll all be together in hell, but you won't be having any conversations You won't be having any party. You won't be having any celebration. You won't be talking to each other. Why? Because it's outer darkness. You won't be able to see your family. You won't be able to see your unsafe friends. Some people think that hell is a party for those who have rejected Christ and lived however they wanted to live. Friend, Let me say this. When people get to hell, the party's over. And yet they think, well, we'll be down there and we'll be able to communicate. You, won't be able to, you wouldn't be able to hear. You can't see your family and friends. You won't be able to hear your family and friends. It is a lonely, isolated place, but not only cut off from people, cut off from God. To me, the worst thing about hell... As horrible as the darkness and the, the pain and the loudness and the nastiness and no other human interaction that a person would have for all eternity that's hard. all of that is unthinkably terrible, but worse than that will be that in hell. People will be forever cut off from the very presence of God. Now, I know somebody, when I say that, says, now, wait a second, John, there's that verse in Psalm 139. David said, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He's talking about the grave, not hell. But even if you want to say, if you want to take the omnipresence of God that far and say, since God is everywhere... That means that God must also be in hell. I don't have any problem saying that as long as we say it biblically and accurately that the only part of God's presence that will be in hell is the judging, punishing, righteous presence of God. There will be nobody in hell is going to be praying to God. You know, one of the things we have as Christians every day, if our minds are right and if our hearts are right, from the time we wake up until the time we go to bed, If we choose to, we can live our lives in unbroken fellowship with God. We're talking to him. He's talking to us. We're in unbroken communion, unbroken union, unbroken communion. But listen, when people get to hell, there'll be none of that. God is not there in that sense. God is not there in his grace. He is not there in his forgiveness. He is not there in his comfort. He is not there in his help. He is there in his judgment punishing sins that were not forgiven By the blood of Jesus Christ. And so hell will be a lonely place. Cut off from people. Forever alone. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46. Jesus described it as the everlasting punishment. It's punishment. And then Matthew 10, 28. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Instead, he said, fear God who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, when you read that, you think, well, that must mean the people who go to hell, ultimately, they will be destroyed. Ultimately, their bodies will be destroyed. Who could, whose body could live in fire and in this environment forever and for always? Well, that leads us to the third question. How long will people be in hell? If I were here today listening to this sermon and if I were unsaved, sitting where you're sitting, never been to this church before. And I'm thinking, uh, first of all, I'd probably be thinking, boy, I picked a bad day to come to church. Man's up there talking about hell. I wish I'd have come when he was talking about heaven or something a little bit happier than this. Well, come back next week and it'll be a more happy topic. But listen, today's topic may not be the most encouraging topic, but I'll tell you this, if you're here today unsaved and you get saved, one day in heaven, you'll say, John, thank you for preaching that sermon on hell. Because God used that to get my attention. God used that to make me think, what does a man do? What does a woman do if he goes to his cardiologist and that doctor says, if you don't make some lifestyle changes, if you don't have this surgery, you will die. Does that man say, I don't like that doctor, he scared me? Or does that man say, that doctor was honest with me and that doctor saved my life? When Jesus spoke so much about hell in the Bible, he wasn't doing that just to make people miserable. He was doing that to get people's attention and to be honest with people and to give people a wake-up call and to help them know that hell is indeed a real place. But if I were sitting out here today unsaved, listening to this sermon. And now we finally, we've talked about what hell is, what hell will be like. The third question is, how long will people be in hell? If I didn't know anything about the Bible, I would be thinking, I hope the answer to that question is not very long because who would want to live in a place like that for any length of time. But friend, the short but sad answer is when people die lost without Jesus, they will end up in hell. And here's the word forever forever. It's eternal, and there's no way out. Now, let's go back in Revelation chapter 19 again, and I want you to see the end of verse number 20. This is very interesting, and I don't think I'd ever pay any attention to this until the study. But at the end of verse 20, these two, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So there they are in hell. Now go to chapter 20 and verse 10. This is a thousand years later, When the Antichrist and the false prophet are in hell, Satan himself, and we'll get into this next Sunday, will be cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. After that, he'll be brought out of that pit, and then he will be sentenced to hell. Satan himself will become the third person who goes to hell. Chapter 20, verse 10 The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are not were are they're still there and they will be future tense tormented day and night forever and ever and so the question is How long will people be in hell? And the answer to that question is forever. And the follow up to that is how could this even be possible? How could a human body live forever in a place with this kind of smoke? How could this even happen? Our bodies would be destroyed in a very short amount of time. The only answer to that question is that just as those of us who are saved, when we get to heaven, God's going to give us new bodies. No sickness, no sadness, no sorrow, no pain, no aging. We get brand new bodies when we go to heaven. The people who go to hell must evidently, they will receive new bodies too. And their new bodies will be suited for their new environment. They will be suited so that even though they're being punished, the punishment never ends. It's eternal punishment and it'll happen forever. And so they have to have a new body in hell, just like we get a new body in heaven. And that says to me that there's no such thing as annihilationism. There's some people who believe that if you die, even if you're unsaved, you die without Christ, that it, well, some don't even believe in hell, and they just believe when you die, it's over. Others say, no, I believe in heaven and I believe in hell. I believe if a person goes to hell, that there will come a point out there where their bodies will be annihilated. But the scripture doesn't say that they'll be annihilated. In fact, another verse, Matthew 25, 46, Jesus talked about the eternal punishment, the everlasting punishment that will be taking place in hell. So there's no such thing as annihilation. I'll tell you something else. There's no such thing as purgatory. It's a myth it's not true. The word purgatory, it's nowhere in the Bible. The word purgatory comes from the word purge. The idea behind purgatory is that if somebody has died, not right with God, not saved, they're going to go to this place called purgatory where their sins will be purged And after their sins have been purged, then they'll come out of purgatory. And then, since their sins have been forgiven, then they can go to heaven. Two problems with any belief about purgatory. Number one, it's not in the Bible. And number two, it implies, in fact, it even teaches that there's some other way to have your sins forgiven other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, even the people who go to hell after 20 million years in hell, All that time in hell still will not result in the forgiveness of their sins. There is one way to have your sins forgiven, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Time doesn't forgive sins punishment doesn't forgive sins. Jesus forgives sins. And so those in hell have missed out on the blood of Christ and now they're being forced to pay for their sins. Now, I wrote this in my note. I'm going to bring this train into the station, but let me, let me not leave this out. In hell, I wrote this in my notes. There's no way out. There are no second chances. There's no invitation. Like in a minute, I'm visiting giving invitation. If anyone man wants to be saved, you can be saved right here today. And I pray somebody will. But in hell there'll be no invitation. And in hell there'll be no hope. How horrible. But think about it. Today we have all of those things. Today we have a way out, a way to prevent ourselves from going to hell by being saved. We have God today is giving us another chance. To make peace with him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what today is. Today, there will be an invitation given. There won't be an invitation given in hell, but there's an invitation being given today. And today, we live in the day of grace, and we live in the day of hope. Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what we preach? Isn't that how we encourage each other? Hey, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, God is with you. His grace is sufficient. He will see you through. There's life on the other side of the trial. Isn't that what we believe? But in hell, there is no other side of the trial. There is no life on the other side. The Bible says in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. How much more true will that be of people in hell? Hope eternally deferred makes the heart eternally sick. And yet today, we live in a day where we do have another chance. We do have an invitation, and we live in the day of grace. We live in the day of hope. Two more verses. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, if you hear God's voice, Do not harden your heart. Today, as you're thinking and listening attentively to this sermon on hell, if in the preaching and teaching of God's word, this is not my idea. This is not something I said, I think I'll do a sermon on hell. We're studying through the book of Revelation. We came to it. I'm dealing with it. And if while I'm preaching to you the truth of God's word, something is happening in your heart and you're saying, I don't want to go to hell. I want my sins to be forgiven. I thought I could go to purgatory and pay it off. I thought I might be annihilated, but you're saying that's not right. The Bible is saying that's not right. If God is speaking, If God is convicting, his word says to you, do not harden your heart. Because every time you harden your heart, it becomes a little easier to say no to God the next time you hear the gospel preached. And if you harden your heart then, it becomes a little easier to say no to God the next time you hear the gospel preached. And if you continue to harden your heart, you'll be like Pharaoh. Your heart will be so hard, you can come to a service like this, hear a sermon like this, and it goes right over your head. Doesn't touch your heart, doesn't convict you, doesn't do anything to you. You will have become what? A professional gospel rejecter. So the scripture says, don't harden your heart. Don't ever harden your heart with God. Even those of us who are saved, when God convicts us, we have to be tender. We have to have a receptive, submissive, yielded heart to God to do whatever he would lead us to do. So don't harden your heart. Another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Some hear this message this morning and you say, well, you're on to something. I need to deal with that. I don't want to go to hell forever. I'm going to go home. I'm going to think about this and I'm going to come back next Sunday. And I'm going to, if I still feel like I feel today, I'm going to make my decision for Christ next Sunday. No, that's the devil. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse two. Now is the time. Today is the day. God's word is tomorrow. Or, or the devil's word is tomorrow. God's word is today. The devil says, wait. God says, Now. And so now you have it. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. God never tells anybody, get saved tomorrow. The devil, God, the devil says that. God says today is the day of salvation. Now, are you still listening? Say amen. Yesterday, as I was thinking about what I was going to be doing today, I thought, God, tomorrow I'm going to stand up there twice for 30 minutes each time and talk to a congregation about hell. And that's not pleasant for them to listen to, and it's not real pleasant for me to talk about but it's in the Bible, and i got to be honest and true to the Bible, and i got to be honest with the people. What kind of preacher would we be around here if we didn't put it out there? But as I was thinking about hell yesterday, two words came to my mind, and I want to close with this today. Word number one is the word gratitude. You say, gratitude? How could anybody have gratitude and they think about hell? Here's how. I'm grateful I'm not going to hell. Because I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that Jesus Christ has forgiven my, I, my sins, though many, have been confessed, repented of, and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So one thing I don't live with is a fear of going to hell, because I know that my sins are forgiven. So that's my first word. Second word is the word urgency. You know, it'd be easy to hear this sermon day if you're saved. say, man, I'm so thankful I'm not going to hell. Hallelujah, praise God. Well, that ought to be the first thing you do. But the second thing you ought to do is to think about the people who live in your house and the people you work with and the people you go to school with and the people you live on the same street with and to think about, wait a second, all of these friends I have, all these extended family members I have, have they ever been saved? Studies tell us that if our city is like any other city, approximately 75% of this community doesn't go to church. And that doesn't mean if you don't go to church that you're not saved. But I'd say this, if a person never goes to church, you have to wonder whether they've ever truly been saved. I mean, you do have to wonder that only God knows. But let's just say there are 200,000 people in the area. There are more, but let's just say that for easy math. Let's just say that 75% of those are unsaved. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. That would mean in our community, there are around 150,000 people who are unsaved. Listen, a a discussion on hell, a sermon like this, ought to not only produce gratitude in our hearts to God that we're saved, but it ought to light a fire in our souls to get out there and to be about our Father's business and to do what God put us here to do, and that is to share our faith in Jesus Christ with other people who don't know Him as Lord and Savior. You know, in America right now, you don't need me to tell you, we're right in the middle of the 2020 campaign. In the last two weeks, we've had two conventions, the Democratic Convention and the Republican Convention. And in November, we'll vote for our president. I want you to hear this very carefully. I believe this election is very important. I believe that God wants us to pray for our nation and to do everything within our power, including voting for candidates who uphold the teachings of God's Word, to do everything we can to make America as God-honoring of a nation as it can be. So I would never say that what happens in America is unimportant because I don't believe that. I believe what happens in America is very important, but I want to say this. What happens in America is nowhere near as important is what happens to those 175,000 people who don't know Jesus. You know, if all we do, I'll paraphrase the great Adrian Rogers here, the great late preacher who's in heaven now. He used to say this, and I'm paraphrasing it, but at the end, I'll come to the statement he made. He said, if all we do in life is work hard to make our communities better and to make our cities better and to make our states better and even to make our nation better if that's all we do then all we're doing is making earth a better place to go to hell from now he's not saying and neither am i that what we do in our communities in our city in our state in our country are unimportant what's he saying same thing i'm saying that as important as it is it's not the main thing i'll say it for i'll take it one step farther than that five minutes after you step into eternity, whether it be in heaven or in hell, I'm saying five minutes into eternity, it won't matter what America was like. It won't matter the condition of this nation. As wonderful as our nation is, this is an earthly temporary nation. Friend, five minutes after you step into eternity, the only thing that will matter will be the condition of your soul. And even in the house of God, with the people of God, if we could ever get as passionate about sharing our faith as we are about fighting for our country, I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for our country. We should. But I'm saying if we're going to fight for our country, how much more should we fight for the kingdom of God and for the souls of people so that when it's all over, we can all be in heaven with God.
0: We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with the other messages in John's Revelation series on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org under the broadcast tab. To watch videos of John's series on the book of Revelation from the beginning, simply go to fbp.org forward slash revelation. Once again, that's fbp.org forward slash revelation. We would love for you to keep up with us on social media. We invite you to like Peace By Believing Ministries on Facebook and to follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. And don't forget to share and tell your family and friends about Peace by Believing. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.